Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your ophthalmology OCAPS and Board of View podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Just a reminder that these episodes are meant for medical education only, not for de- diagnosing things on anyone's eyes. Each week, we take a high yield topic and talk about the why and the how. Uh, Andrew, what are we doing this week? This week, we are continuing our conversation about uh, burns, specifically corneal burns. Last time we talked, I think, about the non-chemical ways that a cornea can get burned. Uh, this week, we saved the chemical injuries to the cornea for this whole next 20 minutes or so. Yeah, now we're on a timer. Great. Now for our 21 minutes, we have to stop dispensing that knowledge. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's, hurry up then. Let's start. Yeah, okay. Okay, let's start this episode with a pop quiz, okay? Yeah. Okay. So here's the Ready. scenario. Okay. Okay. You, the listener, you know, you're rich and famous now, and you're just chilling on your porch. And you hear a scream from across your fence. You ah. dash over. Thank you. You see your neighbors <laughs> clutching your face next to the pool, screaming, and they see you see a bottle of something that looks like a pool cleaner next to them. And you know, they're they're telling you that it got in their eye. You know you have the following available. You have baking soda in your house, lemon juice, sterile water, and a cell phone. What do you do? We'll come back in a bit to answer the question. So, yeah, think hard it's not like a about what trick you would do. Question with the cell phone is it? Is it? Is it? <laughs> what do you do? Is, what do you do? Is it an Android? Is it an iPhone? Is it? Is it? Yeah, I it's something like can download our podcast here. and find the. <laughs> it's something like it's a. It's like our podcast and find the answer in the next uh, five or ten minutes or so. Ah, see, okay. timer again. Okay. Time, yeah, yeah. Really oh, I'm, I'm, I'm putting you on the clock. Tell us about <laughs> the, um, okay, well, there's two types of chemical burns one can get. You know, there's alkaline, the high pH, or acid, low pH. So, Andrew, can you tell us a bit about alkaline burns? Yeah, alkali burns are the ones between the two. If you had to choose one, they're the ones you don't want. Not that you particularly want acid in your eye either, but alkaline injuries are even worse because they can really penetrate the eye a lot more dramatically. So just sort of assume that, you know, until you're dealing with, until you know exactly what's that bottle of pool cleaner is, just assume it's an alkaline injury. And lots of different things can actually do it, like cement randomly. You might not expect it, but if you get like a guy who pours cement and there's some cement particles floating around and he gets them in the eye and they kind of go into solution in his tear film. You might want to be a bit careful about that because that can actually, that is alkaline in pH. Also randomly, you know, if somebody gets firework injuries, then they have more to worry about usually, but fireworks also have magnesium hydroxide in them, which is also a base. So just be careful. The, pathophysiology of why these alkaline injuries how do they eat through the cornea so fast how do they get through into the eye so fast it's because they can uh, actually saponify all these fatty acids which just allows them to go right through the corneal epithelium which is usually what keeps most things like this out right and then once they're in they're just chewing and destroying through all these collagen fibers and proteoglycans of the corneal stroma and then they're basically through into the anterior chamber where they can start really causing injury to causing you know, things like cataract, iris injury. I think it can also do some other stuff too, right, Ben? 
Yeah, so looking more laterally, it can also cause injury to vascular endothelial cells uh, specifically. So it can destroy them, which can lead to limbal blanching and ischemia, and even uh, anterior segment ischemia. And the limbal stem cells can be directly injured by this, which is a huge problem down the line because they're responsible for wound healing. And in these scenarios, if the um, conjunctiva survives such an injury, but the limbal stem cells are almost all gone, then the conjunctiva can actually regrow back onto the corneal surface and vascularize to try to replace what the limbal stem cells were doing. But this can obviously lead to a lot of scarring and a deformation and opacity on the corneal surface. Yeah, those so, little stem cells, those palisades are doing work not just on the uh, corneal side. Sure, they're the stem cells to regenerate more epithelium, but they're also the barrier preventing conjunctival advancement onto the cornea. And you can have mm-hmm. both problems when they are knocked out from an alkaline yeah. burn. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Alkaline injuries are bad. I mean, acid injuries are still not good, but acid injuries work differently because instead of saponification, which allows it to rapidly go through the corneal layers, it instead denatures and precipitates proteins, which can um, actually, and those precipitated proteins can actually act as their own barrier to deeper penetration of the acid into the cornea. So it has a lower chance of getting deeper into the cornea and lower chance of getting to the anterior chamber. So acid injuries are similar, but just in general less severe, but this is you know, there's certainly acid injuries that can completely devastate the corneal surface and get into the eye. Yeah, a specific example is hydrofluoric acid can rapidly penetrate and chelate calcium soaps that might make that barrier. Uh, it chelates calcium and magnesium. So hydrofluoric acid is kind of an exception to this, quote, acid is maybe a little bit less bad rule. And you can kind of remember that if you watch Breaking Bad, the effects of hydrofluoric acid on the human body, if you want to remember <laughs> Not that's to spoil like, anything. That's what he stuffs okay, people no, you into can spoil the bats it. with, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it smells like cat pee, uh, famously. Someone Wait. in the show says that. Oh, really? Like hydrofluoric acid has this odor of uh, cat urine. That's not like something I'm going to say I'm backing up with literature. I did not research the cat pee <laughs> thing. So <laughs> you can look for yourself, dear listener, and tell us if it actually does. I, I, that's literally based on my citation. Literature citation. Breaking Bad. Breaking <laughs> is Bad season four, episode two. seven. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This is a lot of spoiling. It's a fantastic show. You should check it out to learn more about ophthalmology. Okay. So let's come back to the pop quiz we had earlier and how to manage chemical burns. So, well, okay, Andrew, what, what, what do we, what do we do for the, our, what do you do just, for your poor Just neighbor? to clarify, you didn't want me to take my fancy cell phone and like, take a picture of that pool cleaner bottle did you um i even if you had that capability that isn't the right answer right right so don't get distracted just wash that eye out with water right yeah dunk their head in the pool is the answer like don't even go into your house and get the sterile water the answer is flush out the eye off. as you kick them into the pool <laughs> you yeah i was gonna suggest like just kind of taking the back of their head and dunking it in the pool, but you can put their whole body in the pool, I guess, uh, assuming they can swim and everything yeah, <laughs> when laden with clothes and such. I mean, that's a big issue, you know, when you're swimming. If um, In terms of drowning, you really want to get your clothes off as soon as possible because it can really weigh you down once um, they're logged with water. I, but I, you don't want to add that you know, to their... I, I would just, I would just, like, don't, you know... Yeah, you're right. Anyway, so... Uh, so yeah. Time is everything. Irrigate, <laughs> the, irrigate the cornea. 
Ir- irrigate, irrigate, irrigate. Time like don't even go into like the answer was not any of the four things I presented. The answer was what was already <laughs> there, which is pool water. Like just whatever water you can get. Like stair obviously cleaner is better, right? Cleaner is better, but you want to get the stuff out of the eye as soon as possible. Everything is cleaner than hydrofluoric acid. Right, right. Or whatever the pool cleaner is. Yeah. <laughs> which extends to the point of like you don't even want to wait necessarily for finding your fancy Morgan lens in the ER. You just want to dump water on it in yeah, whatever exactly. barbaric, unsophisticated way you can. Yeah. And and even if you're irrigating their eye and you measure their pH and you're like, oh, well, this an acid got in their eye. I'll, let me just put a base in to neutralize it. That's still not the right way to do things. If you remember from high school chemistry, neutralization reactions are exothermic. So you can add, in theory, add thermal injury on top of their chemical injury. So just, just irrigate. Just, just irrigate. Just Keep don't, don't blow don't, anybody up. Yeah, don't by getting don't fancy. play chemist. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't play chemist. Yeah, please, please do not do that. <laughs> For our newer listeners, Andrew, what is a Morgan lens? You just referenced it. Imagine like a, um, you know, you're in a shower or something. You want to put something up on the wall with one of those squeegee sticker things. Imagine sticking that squeegee sucker thing onto the surface of your eye and having it be hollow and connected to a like piping tubing or whatever. Basically, it's a squeegee that latches onto the surface and flushes it with like running sterile solution. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah it's not as it. flexible. <laughs> oh yeah, it's no fun. It's not Nobody as flexible as like a suction like a, a shower suction cup. So it doesn't actually like put suction on the eye, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. goes it's like a rigid thing that goes like like on the eye. Yeah, it's shaped like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's great. You know, I remember there was a scenario where she was a senior uh, we can give her a shout out to Dr. Jenna Kim, who was one Ooh, of my seniors when it was her first year. And she was just in a situation where she didn't have access to a Morgan lens and someone came in with a, a known chemical injury. So she did what you should do if you don't have access to this equipment, just irrigate, irrigate, irrigate. She just got a ton of sterile water. And for, I think, if I remember, I was like an hour or two, just kept irrigating the eye, you know, asking <laughs> if there was a Morgan lens available, but she did the right thing for the patient, just spending the time irrigating the eye as much as possible. If I remember, it was like two liters or something that she put into the eye is, which I mean, you know, consult your local manuals, but um, we usually will do like two liters of fluid before rechecking. Like you really yeah. want to irrigate these eyes. Like you want to, you want to irrigate a lot, but yeah, and irrigate with whatever you have, like sterile water is best, but if you can't use that use whatever this is like the yeah like the only like super time sensitive thing with an ophthalmology maybe i shouldn't say only this is one of the few things that seconds can matter in ophthalmology compared to minutes or hours yeah okay so but let's say that you flush dry for like two liters you know with two liters of saline what or lactate ring or whatever it is what do you want to do yeah let me ask you about um Uh this i've never found this anywhere but do you care what kind of um i guess what kind of saline you put in? Lactate ring yeah, or lactate normal ringers. saline or whatever? No, I, I think it's whatever is fine. Like in theory, uh, normal saline is a little bit acidic, but right? like yeah. uh, it's like, I, I mean, like it's it's just about the more the irrigation action, I think. Um, right. I mean, I ask this because as a first year primary call kid, like often the ER is going to ask you like, what do you want to irrigate with? And yeah. actually whenever they asked me, it was just like, just put lactate ringers if you have a choice, yeah. but if you don't have one and it's going to take you a while to find it, just put on whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like you can put Dasani in there. Not, oh, no free pub. Sorry, I don't want to advocate for any specific water company, but you can, yeah, just put whatever in the bag and, and irrigate the eye. 
Um, but yeah, so so we've done this. You know, we've right. put a bunch of locket ringers it. or whatever. Now what? Now do you just go home? Uh, you want to make sure that there's no particulate matter in there because you know maybe they to- most of it got flushed out. But if there's just even a little grain of something stuck under their upper eyelid, that can still also contribute a ton of chemical injury, as you know, basically a little depot of of uh, acid maybe or alkaline stuff. So Liddy version and Fornix sweeping with like a little cotton swab that's been moistened, that's really important. And, you know, we would, uh, in our morning rounds in residency, if, if we saw a patient like this and reported we didn't do that, we would uh, get positively reinforced to do that next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like definitely, it's it can happen. You you're never you're never gonna know, right? You're never gonna know until you actually look. Um, and like don't assume you know what's in the eye. Like you know, they could say like, oh, I think I got bleach in my eye, but you don't know if there might be some solid component of it that that could be stuck under either eyelid. Yeah. And then after you've looked, then you should keep irrigating until the pH is neutralized. That means you have to check the pH. And, you know, the classic teaching is to test both eyes. You know, even though one is hurting a lot, you don't know if maybe a little bit got on the other eye and you don't want to leave that on the eye for a long period of time either, even if it's not the overtly symptomatic eye. You know, they just may be attending to the eye that hurts way more. So test both eyes. What do you use as a control, Andrew, when you when you? Do oh, this? Is this, this is fun, right? Do you still do this? Yeah, I still do did this. I, did yeah. I teach you to do this? I'm I think sorry. you are the re- you. It's your fault. <laughs> it's not. Okay, so I'm going to pass the buck along and... And needle the guy who taught me. So when you're using pH strips, you know you probably you might carry them around in your call bag, but most of the time you are at the mercy of whatever the emergency room has on hand, right? So you'll ask around, like, "Yo, do you have any pH strips?" And they'll be like, "Yeah, it's somewhere in a closet over there." And you'll pull something out that looks like it's been there for years or something, and you're not really sure if uh, the color code, like the key on that ph you know test kit or whatever it's got those little colors and says like it's this color if it's ph7 this color if it's ph8 and you don't know if the label's just been there forever such that it's been maybe it's yellowed out or light kind of i don't know point is you can't necessarily trust the key code there as being true to life representative of what your strip is going to look like once you stick it in the person's eye so what my chief resident, when I was a first year, taught me to do was stick one of those test strips in your own cul-de-sac of your own, like, you know, inner fornix, lower fornix, because you know you haven't had any acid or alkaline in your own eye for a while. Probably this is a little less, I would be a little less quick to do this in coronavirus times. But as long as, you know, you're reasonably sure that you can do this safely, your own eyes, tear film, pH should be a really good control to compare against the patients. Yep. And I still do that. Really annoying. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry that I taught you to do that too, Ben. Um, (laughs) Let's blame Amal Hasnain up at uh, Albany. I think great chief resident, great senior, great retina doc. But as a retina doc, just like you, you probably don't have to be sticking (laughs) pH strips into your eyes anymore. (laughs) I guess I'm doing it still. (laughs) Well, you know, who knows? Who knows? And don't stick it in your junior's eye. That's just like mean. <laughs> like that's what that's what Andrew really taught me is he could have just put it in my eye as his junior Ooh. resident at the time, but right, right. he did it to his own. So you aren't allowed <laughs> to do it to them, but you are allowed to gently suggest that they do it to themselves, as all sure. good senior hazing 
should do. Like it's all incepting these dumb ideas. <laughs> oh yeah, and you led by example. I'm very very proud of it. Okay, so um, so this is just a side note. I found it interesting. So in theory, even if it's not apparent that the um, that the material has gotten like into like even though it's not a frank like full thickness defect in the cornea. You know, some of this acid or base or whatnot can get into the anterior chamber, which can cause significant problems, obviously, if it's in the anterior chamber. There have been studies looking into whether an AC tap and even AC replacement, i.e. like irrigating out whatever's in the AC, could be helpful in these cases. You know, even Kansky says it's just controversial. But you can know that when it's done experimentally, just doing an AC tap by itself uh, and an eye, I think it was an uh, animal eye that had chemical, an alkaline chemical injury to it, lowered the pH by 1.5, which is quite a bit. And then doing an AC replacement where they, you know, ex- did basically an exchange of fluid from the, in the AC with, with saline, changed to balance salt solution, sorry, changed that to by another 1.5 units. So we don't advocate for it. Like, I'm not saying that this, this is not like BCSC, but in very severe cases where you're worried about the anterior chamber, you can consider that that's something that's been studied and has been done, but it certainly remains controversial. Okay, that's it for that. Okay, so now we've irrigated, we've examined, we've neutralized the pH. Now are we done with the patient? Yeah, there's more that we can do for the patient, which is to treat them with topical steroids. Might sound kind of weird given that their eyes are so injured right now, but that's actually exactly what you want to do in this injured eye. A lot of the injury is going to come also from the reaction to the injury, the body's own response mechanisms to that. So if anything, steroids now are super important more than later, although they they will inhibit healing. So you have to be careful of doing it for too long. But in the acute setting, you definitely want to start them. Yeah. Yeah, and specifically we're starting them because the major villain in the post-burn drama that causes the inflammation and can cause a lot of the comorbidity later are polymorphonuclear leukocytes. So steroids obviously can reduce the uh, inflammatory reaction from them. It also turns out that extracellular calcium also is important in the um, the, the function of uh, PMNs. So yeah, it basically makes them granulate. So the little PMNs do their explosion stuff if they have calcium. Yeah, yeah, which I think is super interesting. And in this case, you can try to inhibit them by using a chelator of calcium. And one that works for that is topical citric acid. So, so topical citric acid and then oral tetracyclines or even topical tetracyclines could be um, helpful as well. Remember, citric acid is, is it's very similar but different from ascorbic acid. And ascorbic acid is actually also useful as well. It turns out, especially with alkaline injury, but any type of um, chemical injury, the natural ascorbic acid that's in the anterior chamber, which we, again, I think we talked about in a recent episode, it's one of the things that's quite elevated in the anterior chamber it will be depleted with uh, after a chemical injury. Now, ascorbic acid is important for collagen synthesis, so if any of the collagen was injured, which is likely what happens in an, a chemical injury, then you want to replace ascorbic acid as soon as possible. We think ascorbic acid levels drop following chemical injury either due to ciliary body shutdown or direct injury to the ciliary body epithelium, which is what makes the ascorbic acid. 
So, you know, this suggests oral or even possibly topical ascorbic acid early, even if you don't think corneal melt is happening yet, to prevent the loss of collagen before it's too late. So topical citric acid for calcium chelation to stop PMNs, and then oral ascorbic acid to stop, well, to promote collagen synthesis. Yeah. Okay. Okay, now are we done? Do we have to do anything else? Uh, well, sometimes you have to be careful of, you know, pressure spikes from chemical injury to the trabecular meshwork. And it is even thought that a chemical injury can lead to contraction of the cornea and sclera, such that it actually reduces the volume of the eye and can lead to high eye pressures very early on in, in a chemical injury. The key thing here is that the cornea folks in the BCSE say to avoid topical IOP drops, if possible, because of their possible, you know, you know, their irritating effect to the surface of the eye, which is already under a lot of stress. You can use Diamox up until the patient stops tolerating it. You can try maybe one IOP drop first. Hopefully, their eye won't be as poorly reactive to it. Yeah, or preservative-free. Yeah, anyway. you know, preserve. It's like preservatives that they suggest cause the epithelial toxicity. So you could, you know, then switch yeah, to you, preservative-free drops. I don't think anybody's finding preservative-free drops fast enough for that. By the time you fight with your insurer to get them, the eyes <laughs> melting or something. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough game. It's a tough game, but yeah, classically we start with oral meds. Yeah, and the other things are obviously like lubricate Cornea, the eye. The CSC tells you to use oral meds. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, obviously lubricate the eye like uh, like crazy. If there's epithelium you see that you think is necrotic, it's probably better to just remove it. An interesting thing that can happen, unfortunately, for the sclera, as we mentioned, the vasculature can, especially the endothelial cells, can be specifically injured, leading to avascular sclera, and that avascular sclera may not heal until it's revascularized, you know, may become necrotic. So in those cases, you may need to, to do a rotational conjunctival flap or move tenons over that area to resupply it with vasculature. And then, you know, we talked about the limbal stem cells a lot. They... I mean, they're critical to proper wound healing, to preventing um, con conjunctivalization of the cornea. So they may need a limbal stem cell transplant. Classically, humans can tolerate having, you know, 25 to 33% of their limbal stem cells remaining. So, you know, only uh, uh, three to four clock hours left of limbal stem cells would be sufficient, which tells you there's quite a bit of reserve of limbal stem cells. But if you have fewer than that, then you have, you know, get things like conjunctivalization and very poor um, epithelialization of the cornea. So ways to combat that in the short term, one is amniotic membranes to suppress inflammation. You can do that within one to two weeks after injury. It can also um, prevent some blepharon formation. And then... As soon as two weeks after an injury, then you can do a think about a limbal stem cell transplant. Now, these work better. They like the stem cells would survive better if there's no acute inflammation. So you have to balance that with acting sooner than later. And then uh, finally, if there's a hundred percent limbal injury, then you may consider acutely advancing tenons. That's like doing you know um, a conjunctival epitomy going back to tenons where you think there's vasculature and advancing it all the way forward to the anterior segment to prevent ischemia to not only the limbus, but the anterior segment in general. That's the surgical management. Did I talk too much there? Nope, you're good? good. Okay. So that's... Agreed and approved. Yeah. 
chemical injuries can be very, very devastating for an eye. There's a lot that one may need to do. But hopefully, knowing the stuff we talked about can help you manage these unfortunate cases better. If you like what you heard, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Eyes4Ears with the number four. Or Instagram, where we're also Eyes4Ears with the number four. And our website is also that way, Eyes4Ears4.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, a rating review on iTunes is really helpful. Um, In any case, we'll see you next week. Hope you guys have a good week. Bye. Bye.